your home of the pins and the best pins covering. WXDX FM Pittsburgh, an iHeart Radio station. Ian Cole went from Pittsburgh to Ottawa to Columbus. And since he joined the Blue Jackets, they are 13-3-1. I'm not sure Cole's arrival is the reason, but that's the record. Since Cole left the Penguins, they are 10-7-2. I'm not sure Cole's departure is the reason, but that's their record. Cole is missed on the PK here in Pittsburgh, no question. His positioning around the blue paint and his instinct have not been replaced. But that's it. That's the list. Ian Cole is a number five defenseman. And when you trade a number five defenseman, you know who takes his place? Somebody else. It's not a huge role. Cole is getting top four minutes in Columbus, and he'll probably get top four money as a free agent in the offseason. Good for Cole. Dilly dilly. But Nick Benino went to Nashville as a free agent. He got top six money. He started out playing in Nashville's top six, their second-line center. But then the Preds traded for Kyle Torres, and Nick Benino is now their third-line center. Just like he was here in Pittsburgh. Same as it ever was. 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 Players are what they are. By a certain age, they settle into a slot. By the time they're approaching 30, they can only maintain or drop. Ian Cole is a number five defenseman. And if the Pens don't win a third straight Stanley Cup, it won't be because they traded a number five defenseman. Sick again brought to you by 84 Lumber, helping you build the right way since 19. 19- 56. Uh, tomorrow's going to be just a, a very chaotic version of the Bart Madden show. Because on TV during tomorrow's program will be Liverpool FC versus Manchester City in the first leg of the UEFA Champions League quarterfinals. Uh, we've not been in the UEFA Champions League quarterfinals. How long has it been? 2008, I want to say. Maybe 2009. Won it in 05, final in 07. I know we were in the quarterfinals in 08 because I got fired because I made my Ted Kennedy joke on the day of the Champions League final. And had we... No, we were in the Champions League semifinals. Well, whatever. Had we been in the final... I would have been off the air to watch the game and not made that joke. But I honestly don't have regrets because things turned out pretty good for me. So anyway, you have that to look forward to tomorrow. Getting back to Ian Cole. He's not Bobby Orr. He's not even Ole Mata. Cole is what he is, a solid bottom pair NHL defenseman. Believing his departure crippled the Penguins is insane. And that belief, among a nutty minority of Penguins fans. That's why Mike Sullivan perhaps thought Cole was talking to the media too much. I used to kind of just roll my eyes when I heard Sullivan thought Cole talked to the media too much. I don't do that now. Cole made himself omnipresent 
via the media and thus more important than he was. And because of that, it seemed like a big deal when he left when it wasn't. And uh, here's the stats for Cole. In 17 games with Columbus, he's got two goals and five assists, and he's plus 12, which is very good. In 14 games with Pittsburgh, Broussard has three goals and five assists, and he's plus one. But in 78 career playoff games, Broussard has 55 points. That's the payoff with Broussard. Can he deliver in the playoffs, and can he fit on a line with Phil Kessel? To reiterate, Ian Cole's a solid D, and he's a good guy. I'm not ridiculing the guy. I'm just pointing out where he fits in hockey's hierarchy. Uh, Cole blocked a lot of shots here at Pittsburgh, 1.9 blocks per game as a Penguin. But after he got back in the lineup, Ruedel, you don't think of him as rough and ready, do you? He averaged 1.6 blocks per game. Blocking shots is no skill set. It's standing between the shooter and the net. Cole is missed, though, on the PK. Wow, Ronaldo with just an unbelievable bicycle kick to make it two-zip Real Madrid over Juventus in the first leg of that quarterfinal. Let's face it, folks, it's it's the Champions League time of year, and you've got to live with my distraction. While Zinedine Zidane, the Madrid coach, former great player, not even wearing a raincoat in the rain, he's a real man. This Ronaldo, he's like 30 now. He's still like the best-looking guy in the world. It, it, he doesn't age. Not as a player, not not expression, not looks-wise. just, I mean, he's no Zach Efron. Oh, he has both goals? Wow. Quite a day for him. 412-333-9939 is the number to call. We got Matt Murray joining me at 515. A lot to discuss with Murray. As I said earlier in the show, I think he needs to play a little better. Not a lot better, but a little better. I think he needs to eliminate a couple. It's easy to call them bad goals. But there's some puck luck involved, too. I'm not excusing on his behalf, but uh, he needs to play a little better. Not a lot better. you got to understand, playing for the Penguins is a unique enterprise. Case in point, that Washington game. There was probably a goal in there that Murray would like to have back that he allowed. But he stopped like five breakaways, too. Stopped a bunch of odd man breaks. The Penguins don't play defense like other teams do. They're on the attack constantly. Defensemen get caught up by ice, and Murray has to bail and does so well. But as I've often said, the great saves don't take the bad goals out the net. So, again, Matt Murray, Chris Letang, both of them, I'm fans of both. They need to play a little better. Not a lot better, a little better. And what makes detractors think they won't? Why would you say that that these guys aren't going to come through when they've come through so many times before, again and again? Each part of two Stanley Cup winners, and Latang didn't play last year, but he was a big part of the 16 championship team and, of course, in 09. It's tough to win the Stanley Cup. It's tough to win three times in a row. If the Penguins don't do that, I think it'll be because they just got beat. Maybe by a better team, maybe by a fresher team, 
I think it'll be because they just get beat. You know what I'm getting tired of? And I liked it at first. When they went back to the format where the playoffs stayed in your division until the conference final, I liked that because I liked how it builds up rivalries. I was kind of thinking back to the old Patrick division in the 90s. But then again, once I saw the Penguins play the Rangers again and again, and Washington again and again, it reminded me that happened back in the 90s with the Capitals again and again, and the Devils again and again. And I got tired of it then, and I didn't remember now that I got tired of it then, but I am tired of it now. Crikey. Same thing over and over again. That said, I'm just as glad the format is like it is this year because if it wasn't, the top three seeds in the East would all come from the Atlantic, and the Penguins would definitely be playing Washington in the first round, and then either Boston or Tampa in the second. 412-333-9939 is the number to call. Stan Saverin at 430. Matthew Murray at 515. It's the Mark Madden Show here on 1059. Now the super genius, Mark Madden. Hey, uh, Mark, second time caller. I love the show. I'd like to talk to Mark about Mark Andre Flurry. Pay attention, dumb skull, and talk. The X at 105.9. Double M on the X. 412-333-9939. Stan Saverin joins me at the bottom of the hour. And at 515, Matthew Murray. I guess I chased away all the baseball listers by saying I think the Pirates are going to suck forever, and they have sucked for the last 25 years with a little window a few years ago, but they slammed that shut on their own fingers. I thought the Ralph Kiner's greatest player ever would get a bunch of, and that is my opinion, Ralph Kiner, the Pirates slugger from 1946 through 52, is the greatest Pirate of all time because his numbers say so. I thought that would get a bunch of old guys to call up and, argue about Clemente, maybe I could, you know, get some of them so mad they just, you know, had heart palpitations and dropped over. And hey, if that sounds cold, I risk that every single day I come on the air. But no luck. The 4-0 start, people being smug, won't take long for that to change. The attendance, I think, is the main topic. Only 30000 for the opener, and where does it go from there? Also, we got the Penguins against Columbus. Thursday night, I got a viewing party at the hotel bar at the downtown Marriott right across the street from PPG Paints Arena. I've already predicted the Penguins win. They get second place at home ice and play Philadelphia. If the Penguins lose, they finish fourth and open up on the road against Washington. It's weird because even though they're playing Columbus and the Penguins and Columbus are currently right next to each other in the Metro, It's easy to see the Penguins and Columbus separating after the result of that game. Maybe not, but that's what I'm predicting. And if it's not likely, well, if the Penguins win Thursday, they get home ice. That's for sure. If they lose, they don't get home ice. Those are the only certainties that will trickle down from the result of that game. But uh, I think it goes like I just said. If they win, they play Philadelphia and have home ice. If they lose, they play Washington and don't. Let's go to Steve in Glassport. Steve, you're on with Double M. Hey, Mark. Uh, I wanted to ask you, uh, besides anybody from the Penguins, who you thought, besides Connor McJesus, who was a good candidate for the uh, NHL MVP? 
Well, McJesus is the player of the year, maybe, but he's not the MVP. He's going to get a trophy he deserves, and that's the scoring title, uh, which to me has more prestige anyway because nobody votes on it. Uh, in terms of MVP, I think Geno's faded a bit down the stretch, but so is Kucherov. Geno's only a point behind Kucherov. If things stay as they are, I would likely give it to Kucherov just based on season-long achievement. But if Colorado makes it, then McKinnon with 94 points and him being really the founder of that feast, the notion that they could rise up from being El Succo last year to being a playoff team this year, and he does lead the league in points per game, does Nate McKinnon. I'd go with him. Giroux could win it. Taylor Hall's going to get some support. If you made me predict right now, it would be McKinnon if Colorado makes it. McDavid if he doesn't. I'm not supporting the notion of McDavid winning it. I think McKinnon should win it if Colorado makes the playoffs, and I think he will. But if he doesn't, I think Kucherov should win it. I think McDavid will. Hmm, hmm indeed. Let's go to Ryan and McKeesport. Ryan, you're on the Mark Madden Show. Hey, Mark, how you doing? Uh, I got a question about Murray. Do you think he can stand alone this year throughout the playoffs and make it to the Cup? Uh, well, he, he did in years. 2016. Well, last two years he was able to depend on Flurry for a couple games. Yeah, but he, he did uh, in 2016. Well, Flurry played. Yeah, I think you're, he played one game. Yeah. He played one game. Zapkoff played two. Uh, yeah, why not? I mean, I don't, I don't think there's any guarantee he won't. I mean... You know, everybody likes to cite where things have gone wrong for Matt Murray, which is absurd because they've mostly gone totally right. And the only thing that's gone wrong has been injuries, which, you know, he can't help. And they're usually not grievous injuries. They're usually nickel-dime things to keep him out for, like, a week. So do I have faith in Matt Murray as the number one goalie? Sure. Why wouldn't I after the last two years? Yeah, I, I think, uh, I don't know, I think it's going to take, Maybe two goalies. Whoever the hot team is going through the playoffs, they're going to need two. Well, it's certainly taken two or even three for the Penguins the last couple years. And I think Tristan Jari, well, he's not even with the team right now. I think whoever the backup is, and I hope it's Tristan Jari, could win a game or two. Not a series against a good team, but a game or two. But, uh, you know, who's to say Matt Murray won't stay healthy and and play every playoff game? Like, in, in in the 2016 Stanley Cup playoffs... Matt Murray played every game but three and got every win but one. That kind of fits the description of what you'd like to see, doesn't it? Yeah, that's good for a young player, too. He's got great years ahead of him, and more luck to him. I, I hope that he does. I'm worried, about, I'm worried about this year, period. This year, period. Actually, I'm not even that worried about this year. I've seen five cups. That's five more than I ever thought I'd see. Uh, back when the Penguins blew that three games to none lead in the quarterfinals against the Islanders in 1975. Let's go to George in the car. George, you're on the Mark Madden Show. Hey, Mark, I'm just wondering uh, what you thought of the Dean Twins retiring after this season. Who? Henrik and uh, Daniel Savine. Oh, um, they're two pretty good players. What should I think of it? Oh, I, I always liked them. I just uh, I hope they show up for the for the Hall of Fame ceremony dressed in the same outfits. I think that'd be in keeping with the kind of weird vibe the twins who insist on playing together their whole careers. Uh, 
rightly or wrongly, carry with them. Hey, two of my real close friends are two guys named Mike and Phil Polomsky. Uh, they're twins. They went to Mount Lebanon and played hockey there, played prep at Choate in New England. They went to play D1 at St. Lawrence. And they played a regular shift there as freshmen, two of the very first Pittsburgh guys to play D1 hockey, but they weren't on the same line. They couldn't stand it. They couldn't stand it, so they transferred to D3 Williams College where they played on the same line. Twins have a different vibe. Twins should marry twins. I could tell you a bunch of Mike and Phil stories to back that up, but twins should marry twins because when twins are married to twins, the husband and the wife will each understand that there's a bond to the brother or the sister that honestly is more important than the bond between husband and wife, and the twin will never outgrow that. I've seen that, believe me. Now, ESPN says that Taylor Hall is the leading candidate for the heart, and McKinnon and McDavid will be finalists. Is that that douchebag Wyshynski? Gotta be. He's the ESPN hockey guy. That's not on his tweet, but yeah, F him. F him. F him, F Taylor Hall, but especially F that douchebag Wyshynski. God, I'll tell you what. If I were ESPN and I looked at all the other coverage my company provides for all the other sports and looked at this amateur hour hockey stuff that bum does, wow, I would be embarrassed. Up next, Stan Saverin, 105.9X. And now, the super genius, Mark Madden. Double M, what's up? Super genius, how are you? Terrific. Is porn stars practice? Nope, they never have sex unless it's on video. The X at 105.9. I got a laugh at the guy who called a minute ago questioning whether Matt Murray could handle the burden of the Stanley Cup playoffs. He won 15 games in 2016, then pitched two straight shutouts to end last year's finals against Nashville. How quickly they forget, or are perhaps too stupid to remember. You know what I forgot? Uh, Wyshynski, that dolt from ESPN, Puck Daddy, he's a Devils fan. So, of course, he's going to pick Taylor Hall to win MVP. Joining me now, he is the godfather of the Pittsburgh sports media from ESPN Radio Pittsburgh and AT&T Sportsnet on TV. It's Stan Saverin. Stan, let's talk baseball uh, very quickly. Pirates attendance was a bit light yesterday, 30K. Is that a sign of worse to come? Oh, I, I think it is. Um, I think the only salvation they may have uh, is that if they become an interesting team, I didn't say good, uh, I, don't, I think they're going to be better than most people thought, but better doesn't mean good. That doesn't mean 500. I don't think they'll finish 500. But if people are intrigued by some of the newer players and think that maybe they're building something, um, the owner will still be the owner. That's not going to change. I think some people are protesting, figuring that whatever dollar they give um, will go to nothing. Um, that's not going to change. And if they choose to do that, that's fine. That's certainly their prerogative. I have no problem with that. But I think other people, you know, they're angry now and uh, justifiably. But if the team outperforms expectations, whatever each individual's expectations may be, I think, you know, at some point they'll say, you know, you know, the, the Cubs are in town or whatever it happens to be. Um, but I would be, I mean, they'd really have to outperform expectations, I think, to get near the figure that they had last year, 1.9. Every baseball team has a winning streak at some point. But it behooves the Pirates to have one early, doesn't it? If nothing else, it's a good PR move. 
Yeah, I mean, that, without question, Mark. Um, you know, given the expectations, given uh, you know a dreadful off season, um, I don't think that people are buying into it yet necessarily. But it got people's attention. You know, better four and zero than zero and four. Um, and also, if you're thinking about that team, you know, they're not dumb. They understand what the expectations were. Uh, maybe it gives them a little bit of a boost of confidence. Hey, maybe we're not as terrible as people think that we are or we're going to be. So, um, yeah, I, you know, I don't think it will manifest itself in a crowd tomorrow or maybe not even over the weekend. But I do think it's got some people paying attention who otherwise are counting the days to the NFL draft. How many games are the Pirates going to win? They won 75 last year. The over-under in Vegas is 72.5. If you made me bet, Stan, I'd bet the over. Uh, I'm not sure they're any worse than last year. I think that's a decent lineup. Uh, I totally agree, Mark. I predicted 78. It's an arbitrary number. Um, I would definitely bet the over. Too late now, uh, maybe. but um, and Not because they were 4-0. I said it last week. I thought they'd be around 78, something like that. I think there are a couple things to look at. Um, that is number one, when you stop and think about it, that Corey Dickerson uh, may be not in the power department, but he has every bit the opportunity to do exactly what McCutcheon did in terms of batting average, in terms of runs batted in. And the guy was an all-star. He's a good hitter. He's always been a good hitter. And I think he had 24 home runs last year. Um, and a left-handed hitter at PNC. Um, when you, you stop and consider, they got nothing out of third base last year. Nothing. I mean, I don't know about Moran, who had the grand slammer yesterday. I don't know. But, you know, any kind of production is better than what they got last year because the position was disastrous after the whole jungle gung thing. Um, Bell and Polanco have got to produce better than they ever have before. Marte, Harrison, and Mercer, if they do what they do. Bell, to me, Mark, has got a chance to be a real star. I mean, I think he's a 30, 100 RBI guy, you know, batting in that lineup. Um, and again, if they get from Harrison, Mercer, and Cervelli, what you know you expect, um, they got a chance. It's a decent lineup. The starting pitching is iffy. The bullpen, once you get past Rivero and maybe Contos, that's even more iffy. That's a huge if, and we've already seen uh, instances of that. But you know they're not horrible. I don't think. Polanco walked four times yesterday. To me, that's the best thing that's happened so far. With the Pirates, if Polanco and Marte get some discipline at the plate, that'd be huge. Uh, without question, I mean, you know, they're they're both, uh, you know, constantly swinging the balls out of the strike zone. Um, you know, we've already seen from Polanco uh, two misplays in the field, and you know, base running error. I mean, I don't know. I mean, do we have to live with that? I don't know. But you know, if he hits three hundred, um, I suppose you can live with that. Uh, yeah, you know, it also. Um, it, uh, to me, it lengthens your lineup. I mean, if you can get some kind of production from those guys, get guys on base, more people to drive in, clearly it's a bonus. Maybe, maybe Polanco is starting to mature a little bit as a ball player. We're talking to Stan Saverin. Stan brought to you by the law firm of Shenderovich, Shenderovich, and Fishman. Stan, the Penguins have a big game with Columbus Thursday night. How big is it? Because they could easily slip to a wild card if they lose. Yeah, you don't want that. Um, you don't want that. Uh, you know, I don't know that they would slip, you know, past New Jersey, but, um, you know, you, you really would rather not get Boston. Um, I don't know that you, you know, want, you know, whoever ends up, you know, being number two and that's as, as the number seven seed. Um, Columbus or Philly would be tough series. Let's not kid ourselves. Having said that, 
they're undefeated against both. Playoffs are a different animal. We talk a lot about Philadelphia. The Pens have 4-0 against them, uh, five goals in each game. But I really didn't know until today, looking it up, you forget things. Um, they're 3-0 against Columbus. I know Columbus is playing really well right now. But when Bobrovsky sees you know that penguin flying up and down the ice, I mean, all of a sudden his knees turn to jello. Uh, I would rather have home ice. Um, and there'll be physical series. Uh, but, you know, the Penguins are at a point now where they don't lose their heads. Uh, I'm, I'm comfortable with uh, either one of those matchups. But, I, you know, I don't want to f- slip into the uh, wild card. I, I don't want, you know, any part of that. And if that means playing Washington in the second round with the Capitals getting home ice, hey, they've been there before. How much has the loss of Ian Cole meant? Uh, obviously, he's on Columbus, whom the Penguins visit Thursday. And the lunatic fringe insists that losing Cole has been a terrible blow. I think it's hurt the PK. Other than that, I think it's been business as usual without Cole. I do think. I don't think you can ignore the coincidence that the PK. Although, look, you know, Mark as well as anybody, special teams can be very streaky. Power play can go, you know, six for eleven, then go one for fourteen. Um, that's just the way it is. And the same thing applies to penalty killing. Uh, I do think when you look at the number of block shots per game. That's an issue, uh, and block shots may not be as important five-on-five, five, but it's incredibly important with a penalty kill. He was the best that they have at that, but that will pick up once the playoffs begin. Um, uh, you know, I, I actually don't think Hunwick has played poorly once reinserted into the lineup. I mean, I think Ruedel is what he is. Uh, I would rather still have Cole, but I think part of the angst about losing Cole is I don't think we have seen the best of Derek Broussard yet. We began to see it. I think he's getting comfortable with the system. He had the six-point scoring streak, six-game point scoring streak. Then he got hurt. I don't think we've seen him mesh fully with Kessel yet, and I'd like to see those two on the same line together with Sherry, who I think has really picked up his game. But I think if, if, if Broussard had scored more, I think some of the angst over losing Cole would have been diminished. But if you want Derek Broussard to give you the best center group in the NHL, you have to give up something. Would you play Kessel with Malkin or with Broussard come playoff time? I would play Kessel with Malkin. Uh, excuse me, pardon me. I would play him with Broussard. I think we're beginning to see some chemistry develop. I still think that with Gino and the two Swedes, Haglin uh, and Hornquist on his sides, neither one of those guys we would call snipers. I think that actually forces Gino into shooting the puck, and he's got the most lethal shot on the team. I would play uh, the two Swedes with Gino, and I would play Kessel with Broussard, uh, Sherry Spade. He's, I think Sherry's played really well the last couple of weeks. Uh, I like the combination of that third line. Stan, the Pens have been kind of mediocre the last quarter of the season, but I am far from pessimistic. I think a few players just need to play a little better. With Tang, Murray, for example, not a lot better, but a little better. Yeah, I, I think you're right. And, you know, we talk about that, and yet... Um, they were something like 9-4-1 in February. They were like 8-3-1 in March, 0-1 now in April. Um, they haven't been horrible, uh, but they haven't played. Let me put it this way. It's not only the record. To me, that is sort of a false narrative. Uh, I think we've seen enough of the Penguins over the last two seasons, certainly in the playoffs. We know when they're, quote, playing the right way. That's their definition of when they're playing their best. Uh, I don't think that we've seen that that frequently, that consistently. Maybe that's understandable. A regular season, they know what's ahead of them. Uh, they, you know, they know. Uh, 
people talk turn on off the switch. No, I think it's a recognition of understanding what's about to happen. It's not like they're going to be caught off guard. Uh, so I just don't think that they've gotten to, quote, their game as consistently as we've seen at the last two playoff runs. I mean, I have every confidence that they will. doesn't mean they're going to win another cup, but I have every confidence that, you know, when the puck drops, the bell rings, they'll be back to playing Penguins hockey. Stan, uh, how should fans behave at the Masters? Because apparently they won't even be allowed to yell dilly-dilly. You know, I I actually had the chance to go to the Masters. It was just, uh, I'm not a big golf guy, but, you know, it was a bucket list thing to do. And I got the opportunity to go, uh, and I went for the final round. It was the year um, that uh, Bubba Watson beat uh, Jordan Spieth uh, on the final day. Um, anyway, I really thought, man, I, you know, I'm, I'm going to make sure that, you know, I don't inhale any air so I don't burp. Uh, you know, I felt like I was going to a church. But I have to say, it wasn't as, I don't know, highfalutin as I thought it was going to be. I mean, the people are very kind, very thoughtful, uh, very friendly and all that kind of stuff. Um, I think that they take it a little too far. I think golf takes it a little too far also. I mean, I'm not for, you know, people throwing things at the golfers or screaming in their backswing and all that kind of stuff. Uh, but I didn't find it to be as um, sacrosanct as I thought Augusta National was going to be. It's beautiful. Um, it's a piece of history. Um, I see no reason. If a guy can scream, get in the hole on a drive, on a 560-yard hole, get in the hole like Superman or Paul Bunyan is teeing off, uh, if they can yell, get in the hole off the tee, then I don't see why you can't yell dilly-dilly. Yeah, I-, I will say, Stan, by playing devil's advocate, I don't know that we need to be waiting in this bondless reservoir of fun, you know, 24-7. I don't know if maybe golf shouldn't be the one sport, especially at Augusta, that wants to maintain a modicum of decorum and dignity that they should be begrudged at either. Well, I, don't, I would agree with that, uh, but I also don't think that dilly-dilly um, running around um, is the same thing as, for example, for 60 years, not allowing blacks on the course, other than the caddy. No, no, um, it's a little different. Well, of course it is. But, I mean, my point is, I don't think yelling dilly-dilly is any different than yelling get in the hole or you demand. Like well, I, I don't know what they are and aren't allowed to yell. I, I think one thing that's kind of brought this on is, and this is absurd, but I, I, I've seen it and read it too many times, I think fans try to time yelling right to the contact of the club with the ball because they want to be part of the show, right? Right, of course. And I think they're mistiming. I posted a video today on my blog stand at the X website of somebody yelling, get in the hole while Tiger is putting far too early. I mean, yeah, it happens because they want to be, they know that, you know, the the TV cameras will catch them because they hear other people doing it. But if that's, to me, the point is, there's nothing wrong with yelling the words dilly dilly. The timing of it, if you do that, then you have to say you're not allowed to yell anything until the ball lands, whether it's it's on the green, whether it's the tee shot, certainly when they're putting. uh, To to me, to say you can't say dilly-dilly, but you can scream, get in the hole on the drive in a 560-yard hole, uh, to me it's not what you're saying, it's when you're saying it. I guess it depends on the hole. Wait a minute. Stan, great stuff as always. We'll talk on your show Thursday. All right, Mark. Look forward to it. That's Stan Saverin. Check him out on ESPN Radio Pittsburgh 970. Up next, going to talk to Bob McLaughlin. Don't forget next hour.
At 5.15 specifically, it's the great Matt Murray, Penguins goalie, joining me at 5.15. 105.9 X. Knows how to win. Super G, loud and proud. He is horrible. He is terrible. The X at 105.9. Joined now by Bob McLaughlin. Bob brought to you by 84 Lumber. Bob, what is your take on what's going on at Augusta? They've banned yelling dilly dilly. There are allegedly some other phrases that can't be yelled, but why didn't dilly dilly's on that list? Is it because it's distracting or because it's an advertisement for Bud Light and Augusta don't want that out there unless they get paid? Yeah, <laughs> I think that I'll go with curtain B. Um, I, I don't think it's because, you know, it's distracting. They let them yell you to man and get in the hole and all sorts of stupid, annoying stuff. If they're going to let them yell that, let them yell anything. But dilly dilly, I think you nailed it. I think it's just because it's Bud Light and they are not going to promote anybody that's not paying them to do so. I mean, this is the Masters we're talking about. Do you think that golf fans should yell a, a lot of stuff or do you think it should be kept to a bare minimum? I think at one time it was cute. When it was isolated and one or two fans did it per round, now it's 100 fans every hole, every swing, and it sucks. I don't mind when a true golf fan yells at like their favorite player, say he gets a monster drive or you know, he spins one right back to the hole and you yell your enthusiasm for that player or for that shot. But for the people who just want to get on TV, as you talked about with Stan, the people who are yelling as soon as the club face comes down and make contact with the ball, they just want to be first. They want to be noticed. And that's where we're at right now, Mark. People, if they get noticed, and even if they get noticed for being total idiots, it's all about getting noticed. And boy, there's no sport like golf that's going to, you know, <laughs> that's going to suffer because of stuff like that. Don't you agree, though, that it's very akin to to people who hold up a camera phone for the entirety of a concert, that they want to inject themselves into being part of it. Hey, look what I did. Hear what I yelled. As opposed to just enjoying what's unfolding in front of them. Yeah, yeah, very much so. I mean, it's the thing about it, though, is uh, as I say that, look, if you're going to let people yell something, you have to let them yell anything. Unless it's, you know swear words or something like that, or again, it's in the golfer's backswing or it disrupts their concentration. Um, but these are paid, you know, these are paid ticket holders. It's not like you're up in the stands at an NHL game or an MLB game telling people what they can or can't yell if there's no profanity involved. And golf, you know, especially the Masters, they like to hold themselves just a bit above everybody else, kind of way up here. Um, and what I see, I like to see them knock down a peg, sure, but also... You know, you, you just can't make it all about see, you. See, I wouldn't like to see uh, golf knocked on a peg. If I didn't like to see these people who yell get knocked on a peg, I don't mind golf being the one sport that tries still to be dignified. I know that we always have to give in to the frat house, the barstool sports, and just let everybody have fun. Why not let them have fun? It's only fun. Why can't people have fun? You know, our lives aren't a bottomless reservoir of fun. Maybe these golfers don't. Want to I take know it. it. <laughs> right. Well, maybe these golfers don't want to take it a bit more serious than people yelling mashed potatoes every time they swing. No, I, I mean, I say that that I would like to see golf knock down a peg. I do enjoy it. I, I don't watch golf much, Mark, but when I do watch it, um, you know, I do like the quiet. I do like the tension. I do like the atmosphere. But you know, on a nice hit, something like that, after the ball is in the air, I, I wouldn't mind hearing somebody yell from the crowd. These pretzels are making me thirsty. <laughs> 
Or loose lips eat chips. Or if he misses a putt, Mark, just first person yells out loud. So simple, even a caveman could do it. I, I, yelling Baba Booey. Oh, yeah, that's, you're right. If that's the rule, then no yelling. Okay, good point there. You know what I heard today? I was listening to Stern today, and he had on, uh, oh, my God, who's the redheaded comedian? Uh, Kathy Kathy Griffin. Griffin. That held up the the severed head of Trump and didn't work anywhere for like a year because of it. But now she's selling out everything. I guess so, and good for her if people want to see her. It's about supply and demand more than anything else. But I heard Howard Stern commiserating with Kathy Griffin uh, 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 regarding the misogyny she's been the victim of. And there's never been a bigger misogynist in the history of media than Howard Stern. <laughs> Maybe he's changed his way some now because he married his trophy wife from Fox Chapel. But, you know, I, I was watching WOR when he was throwing cold cuts at a naked teenage girl's ass. <laughs> yeah, they're both cut from the same cloth. They both got ahead by, you know, doing outrageous things, getting their name out there, and then pitting one side against the other. So uh, may- maybe Howard had a change of heart. Who, but- Kathy Griffin? No, no, no. Well, yo, yeah, and some you see, things. You know what? She funny? always would pick a target and go until, after them. Until Kathy Griffin held up the severed head of Trump, I had barely heard of her. I knew there was a comedian named Kathy Griffin and she did what? The goofy New Year's Eve show on CNN. But other than that, I had barely any cognizance of who, who she was. Well, you're, you're a lucky man. Why is that? I, I'm not a fan. I'm not a fan of Kathy Griffin. I, I, based on what I heard this morning on Stern, her entire uh, oeuvre seems to be poor, poor, pitiful me. I get screwed. F the world. You know, I'm a monster Seinfeld fan, and probably some of the only ones I can't watch is, I think she was a guest star on two of them, and I was like, oh, please, not on this show, too. I just think it's funny that people who are Howard fans, and you can be a Howard fan, I'm a Howard fan, but have totally forgotten what he used to be like, and haven't bothered to examine why he's changed his attitude so dramatically, and it's obviously because of the trophy wife who serves a lot of causes that he used to trumple all over don't you think though it's because he kind of has done everything else and because now he can nope, cash nope i think it's the really? trophy wife period bob there was a call at his show about a month or so ago i can't believe he got on he said and i don't mean this is a shot at beth ostrowski because i know her brothers and i think she's wonderful i've met her a few times this is what the guy said not what is happening or right. i predict will happen but the guy said to howard you're such a phony you're such a hypocrite he goes your trophy wife's going to get caught banging somebody else, then she'll leave you, and then you'll be right back to throwing cold cuts at a naked girl's ass on WOR. To which I thought, well, they're not on WOR anymore. But other than that, I agreed with that sentiment. I, I hope that doesn't happen. I really like Beth, though. But, but you know, I could see where that caller was coming from. But and Howard, of course, went ballistic. But again, that also serves Howard. Because, you know, that's the outrageous kind of stuff that he used to throw out there. Now, he doesn't have to throw it out there. He can just react to it and still gain from it. Well, his main thing used to be you you kept him on because you wanted to hear what he'd say next, right? Right. Now, there are some totally opposite things with him. For example, whenever he has Beth on and they talk about adopting pets from a shelter, click. Don't get me wrong. I am planning to adopt another pet from a shelter and... I have done in the past. That's where all my pets have come from. 
but I just don't want to hear about that on the radio. To me, it's not good radio, especially from the guy who used to throw cold cuts at naked teenage girls' asses. Once he got America's Got Talent and he got into that whole new vein, he got into that whole new side of the public and people that he could reach. And with his business now, with him having all those channels and complete control out of it, the way I see it, Mark. Oh, no, like no, no. It, he makes them money. He's well, the absolutely. reason Sirius exists. It was just another the market only, to tap. The only thing I don't get is is now his whole show is about his self-contained world. All the people that work on the show, that's all he talks about. The outside world, except when they do the news with Robin. Oh, by the way, Robin sucks. Can we keep pretending she's any good? She's there to justify all the things Howard used to say because she's black and because she's a woman. But she's been doing the news for how many years? And she gets facts and names wrong all the time. <laughs> you know what he still is good at, though? And I'll, I'll cut off this segment with the best long-form interviewer in uh, radio, TV, anywhere. Better Fabulous. than the Jericho interview you did in three? Okay, the second best long-form interviewer. That's Bob McLaughlin. We went off on a tangent. Didn't even get to talk about how Pitt was better than Villanova not too long ago. Up next... I could go for some Italian food right now, but there's one place I won't get it from because I can't get it from. We got Matt Murray at 515, 1059 the X.